Well, good morning, church family. Good to see you all, to worship with you this morning. Um, we are on the second sermon, kind of introducing our vision and theme for the year. And if you weren't here uh, last week, I think we've got some slides um, just to throw up real quick. Um, the theme for the year is knowing Him plus making Him known equals discipleship. And last week, you guys go to the next slide if you would. Last week, we talked about making Him known, just because that's really kind of the theme of, of, of the text, is, as we saw um, the, some of the first followers of Christ following Him and, and calling others to follow Him. And uh, this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about knowing Him, but you know, really, there's a symbiotic relationship between these two. Uh, if, if you know Christ, if you truly know Him, you're going you're gonna to want to make Him known, and you're going to obey His call to make disciples. In fact, when we hear the Bible talk about the fruit of a Christian, uh, a lot of that fruit is actually souls, people that we go out there and, and, and share Christ with. And, and, and so um, knowing Him leads to making Him known. But you know, you can't just go out there and give away what you don't have inside. And, and so it, it's vital that, that when we seek to make Him known, we, we do it, it's an outflow of a relationship. And so we're going to talk about that this morning. We're going to emphasize the, the knowing Him aspect of discipleship. And as I was thinking about following after Christ this week, my mind went to a story. Um, and Joshua actually experienced this, although I'm not sure if he knows it. Uh, uh, but five years ago, he and I had the chance to go to Juan Olan and visit with Mike and Libby Wilde and their sons. And during that time, we spent about five or six days up there in Mokondoma where they lived. And then we spent about a week, I think, uh, trekking through the jungle, Joshua and I, with Mike and a team or a band, a, a party of Wano. And of course, Joshua and I were the slow ones, and we truly did slow them down. But we were trekking through some very, very remote uh, jungle in the middle of Papua. And, and truly, when I say remote, um, uh, 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 we were on paths that are indis would be indiscernible, okay, to you or me. But to Wano, they, they knew this path. And we were on this one-day journey. Um, it was actually, for us, it took two days between two villages. And we, we went and visited a, a string of villages, basically, where um, it had been, I think, eight years since Mike or nine years since Mike had ever been there. He and one other guy were the first non-Wano people to ever trek through this part of the, of the country, okay, eight or nine years ago. Since then, it had only been Wano, okay, as far as we know. So Joshua and I were like number three and number four in terms of non-Wano, you know, you know, slow, heavy white dudes, right, uh, trekking through the jungle. Lots of spikes, lots of mud, some beautiful rivers too, mountains, valleys, bogs, all kinds of stuff, right? And, and so anyway, um, at one point, I, I, first of all, when you're doing this, and I think there might have been 15 or so in our party, maybe a few more, um, you realize if I get separated from this group, I will be lost forever. Okay, I, I mean, I will, I will no, no kidding, like I will never get out of here and no one will ever find me. You realize that because it's not like trails. Um, I think Mike had some kind of a sat phone with him or something, or a, but we didn't, okay? And so the, if you want to stay alive, you stay with the party. Does that make sense? Well, at one point, and I don't know if Joshua realizes this, I might have told him, but I don't recall, uh, I actually got for a moment separated from the party. And it was really because of my own selfishness. Um, there wasn't a whole lot to eat. Uh, we weren't eating a whole, we weren't putting in the calories that we were burning, but I, in my backpack, had brought along some beef jerky. And I had learned earlier uh, that it's a communal culture, so if you pull something out, you got to give it to everybody. Mike had made that point. One of us had pulled out a chocolate bar, and he said, hey, that's it, you got to share with everybody. And we had a little group around us, and that chocolate bar went really quick, and not a whole, calories, not a whole lot of calories went down the hatch, right? So, um, I decided, at one point, we were hiking along this beautiful riverbed, and, and then there was a, an entrance back into the jungle. But it wasn't like a real clear trail. It was just, they, they just knew where to walk back into the jungle. So I kind of delayed, uh, held back a moment, and the party kind of wandered off into the jungle, and I pulled out my beef jerky, and I just, you know, chowed down a little bit real quick, selfishly, because uh, I didn't want to share. Uh, part of it was, like, I knew he had enough food, hopefully, to, to get him through, and me, hopefully enough, if we ate it. Uh, the Wano were cool just eating betel nut, 
or chewing betel nut. I guess you don't eat it. Um, you know, it gives you a little buzz, you know, and I won't say what Mike was cool with or not, because uh, I don't want to get him into trouble here with you. But, but um, so anyway, I, I'm, I, you know, I don't, I don't know, maybe a two-minute pause to get my beef jerky and just to, you know, pull down, a, you know, put down a few uh, pieces of it, pack it back up, and I look up, and I could not remember, I could not tell exactly where they'd wandered in the jungle. So there I am by this river, and I couldn't tell if it was right at this point, or was it up maybe about 50 yards up. I just, I just got a little bit disoriented. And I realized all of a sudden, I, I, am, I am lost. Um, if I, the, the worst thing you can do if you're in a situation like this, and again, you have no, nav, no navigational aid at all. You do not know where the trail or where the final destination is. The worst thing you can do is kind of just, just go bushwhacking and hope you find everybody, and then they'll never be able to find you. So I'm thinking, I may just have to stay here and hope that at some point the party recognizes I'm missing and backtracks, and they'll eventually backtrack to the river and find me. Um, but what do I do? What, what if they don't? You know, um, how long do I stay here? And, and, you know, or should I think it was right, maybe right up there? Should I just go for it? And so I'm there for maybe just three minutes, and I, I start realizing I'm a, this might be a very bad situation. And, and, and then suddenly around the corner, there were about three or four Wano stragglers that were behind me that came along. And let me tell you something. I was very happy to see them and to follow them. I tried to play it cool, but they were kind of like my salvation. Okay, I mean, I kind of acted like, you know, I knew about three words in Wano, you know, bulk and wah, 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 and I can't, you know, uh, uh, a few other, a few others, right? Yeah, but, you know, I told him, I said something, and, uh, you know, I tried to play it cool, like, hey, I was kind of waiting for you, you know, wouldn't want anybody to be left behind, but let me tell you, I was glad to see them. Well, imagine that if, if you were in a similar situation, let's, let's just paint a different scenario. Let's imagine that you were in Antarctica, all right? You got off a boat, you're with a little group, maybe you see some walruses in the distance, and, and you, you know, you kind of journey over there to check it out, you get a little too far from the party. Let's say a storm moves in, fog, you can't see anybody, you have no idea which way they are, and, and, and you realize this is, this is bad, all right? Uh, they may never find me, and I may be stuck. Maybe you are trying to find your way, and you just, you wander for a while to where you're, you're hopelessly lost, and then imagine just through the, through the fog and the, and, the, and the storm, for a moment you see a figure, and there it is, you know, Ernest Shackleton. He comes up and he, and he just says, follow me. What are you going to do? You're going to follow him. He's, there, there's, your, there's your hope, right? Your salvation. Or imagine you're in World War II in the sands of North Africa, okay? Young guy, got your gun, you're out there in combat, and in the fog of war, dust storm picks up, you hear the machine gun fire all around you, and you realize suddenly you're separate and alone and, and totally lost. And you're wandering around through the, through the dunes, and you're hearing gunfire, and there's just, you know, the, the dust and the sand, and, and you don't know, am I, am, am, have I wandered into enemy lines? Am I going to die at any moment? Am I going to end up being a, a, a prisoner? And then suddenly, you feel the strong hand of Captain America who grabs you by your rucksack and he says, eyes on me, follow me. What are you going to do? You're going you're gonna to follow him. That's it. You're not going to interrogate or ask questions. You are following him. Well, you know, that, that was kind of Philip's experience this morning. And that intro, kind of a long one, brings us to our first point, And that is that, that disciples of Jesus follow Jesus. Disciples follow Jesus. That's what we see here in verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, two words, follow me. Now, now note that Jesus is the one who took the initiative here. He found Philip, and he spoke those two words that changed Philip's life. Follow me. The call to Christian discipleship, the, the, follow, the call of Jesus Christ is a call to follow him. A disciple, by definition, is a learner or a, a follower. And so following Jesus means that, that you seek to learn from him. As, as, as our, our, our brother 
um, Chris was sharing with us a little while ago, it, it means to, to learn from him, to, to do it as he does it. It also means to go all in. It means when you follow Jesus, that you follow him as, as Lord of your life. Now, some of you younger people, maybe you're in college right now, and it's, it, I've already had a chance to see a couple of our college students who are back for the weekend. It's good to see you guys. Um, but maybe you're trying to think, what do I do with my life? Well, let me tell you, first and foremost, follow Christ. I, I hope that in your, in, your, uh, at your, in your college experiences that you're plugged into a local church. I, I hope that you're building some relationships with other Christians who will, who will help you follow Jesus together, who will give you some encouragement and, and accountability. But, but I hope as you're thinking about your major, as you're thinking about your internship or your, your first job, I hope that you will seek first the kingdom of God and that you will ask him, what do you want me to do with my life? What, what is your calling on me? And instead of kind of bringing him your plans and, and, and saying, hey, would you sprinkle that one? But, but how can I follow? How can I follow you? You know, I, the, my, my life verse, Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I, I remember being in your shoes as a 17-year-old, uh, thinking I had my plans, you know, be a fighter pilot, what could be cooler? Uh, and, and I was, uh, previous to that point, had kind of brought the, my plans to the Lord for a sprinkling. And, and the Lord said, when, when I finally opened my heart to Him and said, I want to follow you all in, what do you want me to do? God revealed that to me, that He wanted me to serve Him in ministry. He wanted me to be involved in investing my life in getting the gospel to the unreached. And I didn't even know what all that meant. I didn't know where it would take me, but I knew that I had to follow him. Let me tell you, there's great joy in it. You know, worthy things are, are worth sacrificing for. And, and then you find out long term, it's, it's no sacrifice. But you know, there are disciples of Jesus today in, in places like Asia and the Middle East and many other areas who sacrifice their future and their freedom in order to follow Christ. But he is, he is worthy of being followed. Well, disciples follow Jesus. Disciples also bring others to follow Jesus. That's our second point this morning. Disciples bring others to Jesus. And, and this just goes back to that kind of circle that I showed you the picture of before, right? Knowing Him means you make Him known, and, and frankly, the more you do that, the, the deeper your relationship with Him goes. Whether people re receive it or even when they reject it, it can be hard if you feel rejected, but then you're like, hey, wait a minute, I'm, I'm sharing in the sufferings of Christ, right? And, 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 and it, it bonds us more with our, with our Savior. So disciples bring others to Jesus, and, and so Part of the call is to bring others into relationship. And like I said before, it is natural. When you have found something that is really worthy to you, you share that with others, particularly with those you love, but hopefully with everybody who will listen. So disciples bring others to Jesus, and this is exactly what we see happen in Philip's life. So in verse 44, we, we read that Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and, and Peter. Now, now the, the name of the town Bethsaida actually means house of fishing. So it's, it's likely that Philip was a fisherman like Andrew and Peter, but he went and he sought out his friend Nathaniel, and he told him the good news. And, and so we read here that Philip found Nathaniel, and he said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth the son of Joseph. The, the word found is used here twice by Philip. We've found him. Um, uh, and of course, he had gone and found his friend Nathaniel. But it was first used in verse 43 when Jesus found Philip. And, and so what we see here is, is, is God's initiative, Jesus's initiative in calling disciples. We see that that, that God is the one who takes the initiative in our salvation. Jesus told his disciples later in John chapter 15, verse 16, he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you 
and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. St. Augustine, commenting on this, wrote that we could not even have begun to seek for God unless he had already found us. And so we, we do, uh, if, if you're looking back as a Christian in your experience uh, of, of knowing the Lord, there was a time in which, and, and you may remember this time vividly, or maybe, maybe if you were saved when you're young, you don't remember it vividly, that's okay, uh, as long as you're following him. But for all of us, if we're in Christ, there was a time in which we did not know him, okay? And if you're looking back in your experience, you may remember a time in which, which somebody brought you the gospel, maybe it was your parents, maybe it was a friend, maybe you, you visited a, a church or an evangelistic service, or you saw it on TV, or, but, but maybe you just picked up and read the Bible, and you recognize that you were a lost sinner, and you needed a hero. You needed a, a Savior to come along and, and to rescue you and to save you, right? To say, to grab you in the back of your rucksack and say, hey, follow, follow me. I'm going to get you through, the, I'm gonna get you through the, the fire and the storm, okay? I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna to save you because you are lost. And, and you may remember that you made a decision. You, you made a decision to follow Jesus, but what we see here in the words of Jesus is the only reason that you were able to choose him is because he first specifically, in fact, before the foundations of the earth, chose you. And he appointed you that you would go out there and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. And some of the most important fruit that disciples bear is the souls of their friends that they bring to Jesus. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. But the, the fruit of a Christian is more than, than, than just your disposition. It's your obedience to the Master's call to make disciples. The, the fruit of the righteous is a, as a, as a tree of life. And he who wins souls is wise, the Proverbs say. Well, disciples follow Jesus and they bring others to Jesus but our third and final point that we will spend some time on is that disciples come to see Jesus in all of his glory. Disciples come to see Jesus in his glory. And that's going to be verses 46 through 51 here. And as we're going to see in Nathaniel's life here and in his situation, that can take some time, seeing Christ in all his glory, coming to realize who he really is. And, and it is a process so if you're a follower of Jesus today, uh, you, may be on, you may not have fully come to realize who Christ is in all his glory, but I hope and pray that, that, that today, and as a result of not just this message, but the, the way we interact with each other, discipleship, will stir each other up to really see and savor Jesus in all of his glory. Now, Nathaniel wasn't sold right away by Philip's witness, okay? So in verse four, 46, we read that, 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 that Philip had come and, and he, had, he had told Nathanael, he had said, hey, we found him in whom Moses in the law and all the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the, the son of Joseph, we found him. And we see in, in, in verse 46, Nathanael's response was a little bit cynical. He, he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, this was a straight shooting man. And he actually knew the law and the prophets. And he knew that nowhere was it written in the law and the prophets that the Messiah would come from Nazareth. And in fact, you won't find, you could search the Old Testament, you won't find anything about Nazareth there in the Old Testament. The Messiah, for, for the keen reader of the Old Testament, the Messiah was to be born where? In Bethlehem. Now, Philip, in his excitement, didn't even know that or recognize that or didn't pass that on. He, he just knew that, hey, this is Jesus of Nazareth. That's where he grew up. Um, but, but so you can see how Nathaniel might have been a little bit skeptical. Wait a minute. That's not what we hear in the Old, in the Old Testament from the Law and the Prophets, that the Messiah comes from Nazareth. Plus, there may have been a little bit of a rivalry between villages, between Bethsaida and Nazareth, right? So he, he, he kind of says... Um, can anything good come out of Nazareth? But I, I love Philip's confident response. Philip said to him, come and see. 
Well, we read in verse 47 that Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. So Nathanael was a sincere man. Unlike Jacob, whom we spent some time talking about and thinking about, right, as we studied the the story of Joseph. Jacob the deceiver, uh, who was a a cunning, uh, deceiving man who actually had an interest in spirituality, whom God worked in his life and, and used. But unlike him, Nathaniel is a straight shooter. He's a sincere man uh, in, in whom there is no guile or no deceit. And that's what Jesus says of him as he's walking up. And so Nathaniel, the straight shooter, says right back to him, how do you know me? Well, Jesus didn't get angry. He answered him and he said, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, scholars have long debated about the meaning of this fig tree. Some, some, some suggest that this cryptic fig, fig tree might have been like a symbol for something else like a home or peace. And actually, there's a good bit of literature that's been written about this. Okay, um, uh, I'll just kind of give you my disclosure. I, I think it was a fig tree. And I think that something personal and powerful in Nathaniel's life had happened under that fig tree. Okay, if, you, if, you've, if you've seen the uh, show, The Chosen, and of course this is speculation, this is just uh, interpretive speculation, but in that, in that uh, they have an episode in which Nathaniel was this architect who had come to the end of himself, like, you know, total professional and life disaster. And he's under the fig tree and it's a moment in which he's crying out to God for help. Help me in my distress. He's, he's actually asking God, do you see me? And so Jesus says very specifically, when you were under that fig tree, I saw you. Now, and I don't know if that's right, if, if that's what, exactly what happened, or if it was some other scenario, but I think something significant had happened under that fig tree and this meant, very, this meant something very deep to Nathaniel. Um, but what we see here is that Jesus looked into this man's soul. And he saw him. And he sees you. And he sees me. And I tell you what, I, I, I take this uh, truth of the omniscience of our God. Uh, that to me, this is both scary and beautiful at the same time. It's, it's scary because I know that my heart is not always pure. He sees us all the time. But it's, it's beautiful, this truth, that he sees us all the time, because we want to be known, right? I mean, kids, have you ever played hide-and-seek? We've probably talked about this before, right? You, 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 find the, you find the perfect hiding spot, and you're excited, you know? You crawl into that cupboard or behind that couch or whatever it is in that tight space. Uh, but But you know, let's say a minute or two goes by and you hear the, the person out there, you know, and they can't find it. It's exciting. But what happens after about 10 minutes or 15 minutes? Do you want to just stay there, you know, curled up forever? You might stick a toe out, right? Why? It's because ultimately we want to be found. We want, we want to be seen. And so he sees you. He, he knows you. He knows you in your moment of, of, of distress he knows you in your moment of, of, of victory. And when, when Jesus gave Nathaniel this very specific information that I, I saw you when you were under that fig tree, skeptical Nathaniel was immediately convinced and immediately converted. And so we see in verse 49, he answers him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. This man did a 180. He had been lost and now he had been found. Philip had, had told him that Jesus was the Messiah, that the son of Joseph, a carpenter. But Nathaniel here cries out in faith, you're the son of God, the, the Almighty, the King of creation. He uses the, the glorious title, the, the King of Israel, the promised one. And he, before most of the other disciples, realized that Jesus Christ was divine. Not only the Messiah, but the Son of God. Jesus responded 
by saying in verse 50, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. Greater things than these. And, and he sure would. He would see a shadow of heaven as he followed Jesus over the next three years. Right? As he saw the miracles. As he saw Jesus' response to people. He, he saw evidence of God himself flowing through Jesus' life. And he would not be disappointed. Let me tell you, uh, oftentimes those things that we put our heart into, that we seek after, right, um, are disappointing. And, and the reason they're disappointing to us is, is because of the law of diminishing returns. Okay, you know what I'm talking about here, right? That first scoop of ice cream, of mint chocolate chip ice cream, all right, tastes a lot better than the 50th scoop, right? It does. The law of diminishing returns. Maybe you go on a, maybe you go on a, on a vacation and that first hour at the resort, you're just like, wow, this is great. I can't wait to explore, you know, all the nooks and crannies and the slides and the beach. But after day five, maybe it all starts looking kind of, you know, old hat to you. It's the law of diminishing returns. We can apply that to all kinds of things, right? Chinese buffets. You know, if you're a knucklehead like me, um, you know, about an hour later, man, I am regretting it. I'm actually making vows I will never again. And then three months later, I'm like, hey, sweetheart, you know, maybe we got to go to the Chinese buffet. You know, I just kind of forget. There's this law of diminishing, some of you know what I'm talking about, the law of diminishing returns in our lives. Well, let me just tell you something here. Um, I hope that you're excited about your relationship with Jesus Christ and your future eternity in heaven, because it is the opposite of the law of diminishing returns. It is the law of increasing returns, right? There's actually few things that we can look at in our lives that have increasing returns. One, one, one example I thought of, um, uh, uh, Beth and Christine and I, a few weeks ago, were down in Orlando for a wedding or south of Orlando a little bit, and we, we had a couple hours to kill, and so we just hung a left, and we went to this place called Bach Tower Gardens, okay? And, and so one, one thing I found kind of interesting, it's just this tower in the middle of Florida, you know, built 100 years ago by a guy with a bunch of money. Uh, it has a very interesting instrument at the top. Uh, but but th- there was a, this guy, when he, when he wanted to design this garden, he called in this, this famous landscape architect who actually designed a, a um, uh, or he kind of engineered a landscape design of increasing returns. And if you've been to um, like the Biltmore Estate, it's the same thing. The whole design was as you get closer to the main attraction, that the landscape gets more and more beautiful. And the whole idea was to, to, to actually build anticipation for the final event. So as you make a turn and along the path of the drive, it actually gets more glorious and incredible. And then you get a, there you see the spot of this amazing tower, this amazing house. And the closer you get, it just builds this anticipation. Of course, until you get there to the structure, and that's it, because right now we live in a finite world, right? And we have limits on how much better things can get. And so it's easy for us, maybe, when we think about heaven uh, to to be governed by our own limited human experience and think, you know what, Um, it just can't be really that great because, you know, after a billion years of, like, praising God, it's going to have to somehow get old to me. Okay, maybe, maybe you don't say that out loud, but maybe you've had that kind of thought. But the truth is, the kingdom of God has increasing returns for eternity. As, as, as what um, our brother Bill expressed, he is unfolding his glory. And I actually think it'll be his glory. I think it'll be our experiences. I think there's going to be constant growth and, and an unfolding of experience as well in heaven. We had a cool discussion about this Friday night in our, in our life group. Um, I mean, you might think I'm nuts, but I think we may be exploring worlds unknown and doing all kinds of incredible things. I think technology and I think that culture will be actually developing and growing with no sin, with with God and Christ at his center. I think there's going to be a whole lot of, it's going to be amazing. Anything that your heart longs for, like your, your, the pure heart, not the sinful heart, okay, that's, that comes from, that comes from the the image of God in you. Uh, Heaven is going to be incredible, no disappointment, increasing returns, but a walk with Christ today is such as well. 
Kent Hughes writes this regarding this passage. He writes, He is infinite, and His infinite love will unfold for eternity. We will always be surprised, and we will keep growing into new knowledge of His love. His power, His mercy, His strength, His transcendence, all these things will keep unfolding for eternity. Jesus said, you will see greater things than these. Now, he didn't just leave things vague with that statement. He continued in verse 51. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now that, we're going to spend a little bit of time thinking about that last verse, because that's a very interesting statement Jesus made here. But let me just start by the Son of Man. This is the first time Jesus uses this um, reference to himself, and he will use this reference many times. But he says the Son of Man, well, this was a powerful Old Testament reference, actually not to his humanity, as you might think at first read, but actually to the fact that he is the Messiah. The Son of Man we see in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, in which we read, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And so when we read the son of man, what, what Jesus means is the promised one, the, the Messiah, right? The one sent from God to, to, to be the, the bridge, the ladder between God and and man. But where does the Bible talk about Philip, or frankly any of the disciples, actually seeing heaven open and the angels ascending and descending on Jesus? Uh, we, we, we read through this uh, a few nights ago during our family devotions, and my wife asked me that question. Now, where, where did actually we see this happen? And I had to stop and think about that. My mind went to the transfiguration. Wait a minute, Philip wasn't there at the transfiguration. And frankly, we don't read about angels, right? We read about, you know, a couple Old Testament prophets showing up in, in, in glory. What about the ascension? Well, at the ascension, the disciples, and I'm, I'm betting Philip and, and Nathaniel were there, they, they see Jesus rising in the air. And, and in fact, Luke tells us in Acts chapter 1 verse 11 that two angels kind of just popped up, just showed up, um, you know, they're done looking at Jesus. There they were, two angels. And they gave the disciples a little after-action briefing, right? It's like, hey, don't just keep standing there looking at the, the, the sky. You got a job to do. Let me remind you of what he said, and he's coming back in glory one day. Um, but that isn't the grand picture that Jesus describes here, of angels ascending and descending, that he said that Nathaniel and the others, at least Philip, who were standing there, would see. So what, what, what is he talking about here? Well, well, maybe Nathaniel had been reading from Genesis chapter 28. Maybe that's what he was doing under the fig tree. Well, Genesis chapter 28 is a story that you uh, are probably familiar with that we call the story of Jacob's ladder. And it happened 2,000 years earlier. So let's look at this uh, together. Um, in Genesis chapter 28, verse 10, we read that Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. I wonder if you've ever laid down on the ground out in the wilderness and you've used a stone as a pillow. Not, not exactly uh, the most comfortable thing to do, uh, not, not, not exactly something that would be you know, an easy situation to fall asleep unless you are utterly exhausted. Now let's, let's remember this context here, right? Jacob had tricked his big brother Esau and had stolen his birthright. Remember Jacob the deceiver, full of guile. Uh, he had stolen Esau's birthright, and now he's on the run for his life. You know, he's got this big hairy brother, and Jacob's a mama's boy, right? Uh, Esau could, could break his spine, probably with one hand tied behind his back if he wants. Jacob takes off on a run 43 miles from Beersheba to Haran in a day. 
Uh, that's, you know, he probably had not had time to provision himself. He just fled. 43 miles, that's a long distance uh, for a day. Probably running at times, probably walking very fast at times through the wilderness. And he is absolutely bushed, and he, he, he collapses to sleep. The sun is set. He couldn't see any further. You know, no flashlight. And so we read, he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and at the top of it, it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Jacob, or the God of Isaac. So what we see here in this dream is that God was, was letting the scoundrel Jacob know that he wasn't alone, that God himself was going to guide him. He was going to be with him. And so this was the very message that Jesus had been giving to Nathanael. I saw you. I, I know you. You follow me. I'm going to show you. You're going to see some amazing things. Well, the picture that Jacob had was of angels ascending and descending. I just want to say as a side note here, we, we American naturalists need to be reminded that the spiritual dimension is real. Okay? It's real and actually more real than the things that we can test with our empirical senses. We don't believe it is because we are so influenced by the false uh, religion of our culture, of naturalism. That would say, therefore, the only thing that's really real are the things that we can prove with the scientific process, scientific method, and, and those things that you can taste and touch and feel and see, right? And so, therefore, your spirituality is okay if it's a crutch for you, but it's not really real, and you can't base your future on it, all right? Uh, it's the opposite. It's a false religion. So what are you going to base, where are you going to put your hope? Materialism, hedonism, stuff, experiences, pleasure, that's where you put your hope until you die. That's the, that's the lie our culture tells us, and we are all affected by that more than we think. And that's why we look for, we put our hope in vacations and in houses and in design and things like that. These things aren't wrong. They're gifts from the Lord. But when we put our hope there, it's because we have succumbed to a false religion. But we, so we need to be reminded that the spiritual dimension that the Bible talks about is really real. And that means that angels are real and they're involved in our lives more than we realize. Okay? So Hebrews 1, 14, we, we studied this about a year ago, says, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? God actually sends real angels to minister to Christians and to, 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 frankly, to keep people alive who are going to become Christians. That's, that's what angels do. They're, they have a job to minister to us, and they're involved in our lives more than we realize. And so we read it later in Hebrews that we as Christians have spiritually arrived at Mount Zion. And in Hebrews 12, 22, we read, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. So there's all this stuff going on in a dimension that we can't see, but it is real, and it's really real. In fact, it's more real than the life that we can see, touch, taste, and feel with our empirical senses. So we need to remember that. The Bible teaches this, okay? Anytime you're tempted to think, well, you know, come on, there's not really a demon behind every tree. Uh, you know, that's all kind of, uh, you know, mysticism. Guess what? You're wrong, okay? The reason you think that isn't because this is what the Bible teaches. It's because you are subject to the influences of the false religion of our culture, okay? We just don't know, you know, when a frog is in a, uh, a slow boil kettle, he doesn't know it. That's what we are, okay? So recognize that. But the main point here in this, now, now I, I want to say something about Nathaniel's culture. They had a very different culture. Okay? In, his, in his culture, they really did believe in the angelic and the demonic. And, and you know, their, his hope was for this Messiah who would come and, and save them. But the main point here in this reference to Genesis 28 is that the ladder in, in, Jacob's, in Jacob's vision, that, that ladder that we see, right, that, that connection between the divine and the human 
the ladder that the angels ascend and descend on is Christ. Jesus is the ladder between God and mankind. Kent Hughes summarizes the meaning here. He, he writes, it's like Jesus is saying this, Nathaniel, you have not yet seen anything. As you enter into the fullness of your relationship with me, and as your spiritual vision is broadened, you're going to see swarming angels and hear the rustle of their wings as they move on that ladder between heaven and earth for you. So Jesus connects us to the divine. He reveals God's plan for us. You want to know what you're supposed to do with your life, right? Um, instead of messing with tea leaves uh, or just trying to do it in your own understanding, open the Bible and read and call out to him and ask him to direct your paths and to show you. Know Jesus more fully and he is going to show you what he wants you to do. What is his plan? What is his plan for you? But most importantly, Jesus is the one who makes our heart clean so that we can have a relationship with God. He is that ladder. So are you a Christ follower? Are you a follower of Jesus? Are you willing to follow him with your lives? Um, I hope and, and, and pray so. Um, I want to, before I close the sermon, I, I just want to tell you a little bit about um, a, a course, and Robbie mentioned that if you came to Rocky Family Night last week, you, uh, you, you heard me talk about it, um, but it's a course that we're going to do called Every Disciple, a Disciple Maker, okay? Now, I am actually going to be teaching this class during the ABF hour for 10 weeks starting next month, and I'm actually doing this um, as part of my doctorate, and, and let me explain that for a moment, okay? I've been working on a, a doctorate of ministry for the last two plus years, and kind of the culmination of the whole thing, I, mean, I had to make this decision about a year and a half ago, um, but is a kind of a practical um, step in your ministry to try to help uh, overcome a problem. And, and so I, I had a look at my ministry, and, and I thought about, okay, here at Rocky Bay Baptist Church, what kind of practical project could I do that could help our church grow? And, and I thought about uh, working on, on polity. Right now we have an elder rule polity. I thought about looking at the difference between elder rule and maybe an elder-led congregationalism, okay? And, and that's, it might sound like, what is he talking about? Uh, it's, this is all about, you know, how we structure things, how we make decisions, um, and, and all that. But, you know, I thought about it, all right, on my deathbed, will I really care about that? And I thought, you know what, I don't think so. But what about discipleship? I thought about our church. I thought about our strengths. I thought about our weaknesses. And I thought, you know what, we need to grow in this area of discipleship. We, we know a lot of stuff. We, we're, we're quite literate biblically. And we, we tend to think uh, when it comes to discipleship, we think, well, let's just do another class and teach more stuff right? Or we might tend to, to think, well, let's do another program. Let's, let's put together an activity that we go do. You know, let's go. Uh, and, and all these things are great, okay? We're very action-oriented. But what about n focusing on knowing Him and making Him known to our neighbors? How often do we go and talk to our neighbors about Jesus Christ? You know, how often do we invite people who aren't churched to church, or even better, into our homes to like, just to get to know them and to point them to Jesus. How many of our uh, members um, uh, make it a priority at work to be sure to let their colleagues know that they're followers of Jesus and to give Him glory, even if it means um, uh, slowing down the, the, the whole promotion cycle a little bit? Well, I have to be honest with you, I, I've been encouraged these last couple years um, I actually am seeing just organically the Lord do some great things in our midst. More and more people getting excited about discipleship. And, 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 and that is our theme for the year. But this, this course that I plan to do for 10 weeks is called Every Disciple, a Disciple Maker. And so that the idea here is for us just to stop and learn and, and encourage each other. What does it mean to be a disciple? And then to go out and, and make disciples. And so we're going to talk about some things that you might think are basic, but you know what, if, if there's things that you know here but you're not employing with your hands, if it's not making it from the head to the, the hands, it probably hasn't penetrated the heart. 
right? And so we're gonna, our, our goal here is to try to help summarize things in a very simple way and to grow together and encourage each other in our understanding of the gospel, in our practice of spiritual disciplines, of even understanding things like spiritual warfare and victorious Christian living, and, and, and so that we can grow as disciples of Jesus, and then we can go out and make disciples. And the idea isn't legalism uh, or guilt. I'm actually excited about this time because the idea is for a small group of Christians to come together and to learn from each other and encourage each other in our daily lives. So that it's not just, hey, I, I know some more stuff, but okay, how did it go last week? You know? Um, and so we're, we're going to try to encourage each other to grow in living for intentional discipleship. And, and by that, I mean having a, a, a group of people that we pray for daily for their salvation and working on and, and, and kind of helping each other learn how do we bridge conversations to the sacred, to, to that of, of Christ. That can be hard sometimes. You know, how do you, how do you go from talking about something that we have a shared interest in with somebody to suddenly the spiritual? Remember what I said earlier? about our culture and what it thinks about the spiritual, what it says? Let me tell you, that's a stronghold. You know, the reason we don't just naturally make disciples all the time is because the devil doesn't want us to. Think about that. He has elaborately set up a structure in which we live that very much inhibits us. And so it, it takes some resolve. It takes the Holy Spirit. It takes encouragement of each other. To, to break through those barriers that our culture has that would want to, to, to make you fearful of, of bridging that conversation, right, with a neighbor to the spiritual, to, to Christ. Because, well, I don't want it to be awkward. Who set up the construct that that is awkward? The devil. So don't give in to it. Don't give in to the prince of the power of the air. So we want to talk about things like that. Well, how, what are some practical ways to, to bridge conversations? Hospitality. So we don't just talk about the virtues of it, but we say, okay, let's think about in the next two weeks, who are you going to invite over to your home that you normally would not? Um, for the purpose of spiritual encouragement, for the purpose of discipleship, and then we get to come back and encourage each other on, on how it went. So that's kind of where it's, where, where, where it's going. Um, I'm praying for 20 adults in our church um, who will say, yeah, I want to do this. And I've emailed out the schedule. In fact, I think we've got a slide of that, if you guys could throw it up, if you would. Um, we don't have a slide of it. Okay, no slide. Um, but the, the idea is that we're going to take two, the two Sundays around spring break off, start in March, and kind of run it through April, 10 weeks. Um, what we're looking for here is, is um, uh, a commitment. I realize that th people get sick. Um, you may need to travel, but we really are hoping that, that if you say, I want to do this, that you can come for at least eight of the 10 weeks, um, and that you are ready to give away what you learn, okay? That you're, you're ready to be challenged, but in, in an encouraging way, not in a guilt kind of way, but to take a step maybe beyond what you've taken uh, more recently. And so I'm praying for, that, that God will give us 20. I'm not going to keep beating the dead horse here, um, but, but if you're interested or have questions, email me or, or grab me. Uh, it'll be during the ABF hour. We tried to find a time that would work the best uh, for the church, knowing that everyone's busy if we do a Tuesday night or a Thursday night you know, we already got a lot going on. You got child care. Um, all the, 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 you know, some of you may be teaching a Sunday school class or something like that. I know that Miss Pam supports this and excited about this, and we'll try to help you find uh, a, a replacement, you know, uh, for 10 weeks. Um, but we want, if, 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 the, if the Lord's working on your heart and you want to grow in being a disciple and making disciples, um, shoot me an email, but please do it this week. Um, I think right now maybe 11 or 12 people have said, yeah, I'm interested. Um, I'm not sure if every one of them will end up being able to do it. So don't hold back because you're worried about others. Um, uh, what we're really are hoping for, even mature disciple makers to come through this and, and to be able to then go out and, and influence others. That's the idea. You know, I would love for some of you to be able to teach these in different uh, sectors later. Okay, whether it be a, in a men's Bible study or women's Bible study or maybe even an ABF. So um, email me if you're interested. Well, let me land the plane this morning um, in conclusion. Think back to the scenarios I painted at the beginning, you know, lost in the desert and or, you know, the Antarctic Circle. You may not realize it, but if you're here this morning and you're not really following Jesus, 
You, you are lost. You're lost. Maybe you've been trying to captain your own boat, you know. Maybe you've tried to be your own guide on your own spiritual walkabout. If that's true, if, if you're not following Jesus, you are lost. And the reason you're lost is this world is not safe, okay? Uh, there is a fog. We are in a spiritual war zone. And, and there are angels, as we've talked about, but there are fallen angels, demons that want to destroy us, that want to lead you astray, that want to keep you from making it to the celestial city. And frankly, in our culture, there is much demonic activity and temptation towards materialism and hedonism. And it all ends in death. That's where you'll end up. Not only physical death, eternal death, eternal separation from God. If Jesus is not your guide, if you're not following him. But Jesus is a worthy captain. So follow him. Respond like Nathaniel. You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. He will get you through the battle fog, and he will get you home. Let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our Savior and Lord and Hero Jesus. Help us to follow him. I pray if there's anyone in this room who doesn't really know him, who's not following him. Maybe they know that. Maybe they don't. Maybe they've just tried to tack Jesus on, uh, on top of a, uh, into a, it amalgamated him into an intellectual worldview where their heart is far away, where they're seeking to, to uh, forge their own path. Lord, I, I pray that, that today would be the day that, that, that they would see him in his glory, as Nathaniel did, and just call out to him in, in faith, and, and they would follow Lord, maybe there's someone in this room who's been following Jesus, been a follower for a long time, but, but they've, they've kind of, their, their eyes have gotten distracted. Lord, I pray that, that today would be the day that, that their eyes would, would, um, would, would, would um, be focused on Christ. Lord, that they would be filled with the wonder of his greatness and worthiness, um, that, they're, they're, that, that you would uh, reclaim their affections, Lord, and that, that they would be energized and re-energized in following him. Lord, I pray that for me. I pray that for all of us, that, that, that we would love our hero, Jesus. I pray in his name. Amen.